Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are regular Wednesday postings where my co-host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is Vaughn McKee. Vaughn McKee remembers vividly her first glimpse of real cowboys herding Mustangs into a pen outside Prescott, Arizona. Eventually moving with her family back to her mother's Louisiana, Vaughn jokes that she is descended from horse traders and southern bells. She spent summers visiting her father's family who raised cattle and broke horses in North Dakota and later northwestern Minnesota. Inspired by seeing her grandfather stretched out on a sofa reading Zane Grey novels, some of which were passed down to her, she owned a complete Zane Grey set herself by age 18. After years of working at everything from riverboat waitress to country singer to construction project manager, Vaughn is incorporating her experience and some of the interesting characters she's met into stories of the Old West. Her latest book is Comanche Winter and Other Stories of the West, available from Wolfpack Publishing. I'm happy to welcome Vaughn to the show today. Howdy, Mickey. Well, hey there, Rich. <laughs> I guess we should explain that for a second. Ast- uh, astute listeners Vaughn, will yes. notice that. Yes, Vaughn McKee is uh, is my pen name for writing uh, Western fiction, and uh, I'm having a blast. Where did that pen name come from? Oh, you had to ask. Well, I live on Vaughn Road, and McKee is a derivative of Mickey. So, you know, as a friend of mine says, it's it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> That's perfect. I I never made that connection. <laughs> Most people don't. It's funny. So your early influences have a wide geography, Arizona, Louisiana, North Dakota, Minnesota, but all of them are firmly rooted in family. How did those days affect your creative development? Well, you, you kind of wonder, you know, after the fact, what ties all of this together? And it was Uncle Sam. Uh, my dad was stationed in uh, the Army at Fort Polk, Louisiana, and uh, he was born in North Dakota and was raised in northwestern Minnesota. And, you know, met this cute little gal down in central Louisiana and decided he'd, he'd just hang his hat down there. So I was raised in Louisiana, but literally half my family is the Louisiana, very southern, you know, Tennessee Williams kind of thing. <laughs> and the other half are the the salt of the earth farmer, Minnesota, and, you know, a lot of Western influence there too, because they raised quarter horses and cattle and, and that was their living was that they were, they were in the horse business. So I got, I didn't think it was unusual at the time, but I got to spend most of my time in the South, just absorbing what, what that was and the stories that, that hang in the air there. And summers I would spend up on this farm, which happened to be located on the Leech Lake Ojibwe Reservation. Their family land was on on the on the reservation property. Uh, so I got to just kind of see that firsthand. My grandmother was a foster parent, and she kept the same kids for several years. There were four or five of them. They were, the faces would change a little, but they were all either Sioux or Ojibwe or sometimes some others. Uh, so those were my playmates in the summer. She adopted one of the children who was older than me. And so I have an uncle who is a powwow dancer for the Sioux Nation. So <laughs> it's just really cool the way it all worked out. It is. We moved to Arizona because of my asthma. 
stayed out there long enough for me to to breathe enough of that Arizona dust that I still want to go back. <laughs> How long were you in Arizona? A couple years? Oh, probably probably not more than a year. But uh, but I, I just as I said in the the bio, just the memories are so vivid. Um, that that memory of seeing the horses, I was just outside playing and heard, I saw this cloud of dust coming and, and all of a sudden these colors start emerging from the dust. There were black horses and paint horses and red ones and, and these cowboys put them in a corral. And I, I just, I think that's when the seed was planted. I really do. Oh, that's fantastic. Did you like to write as a child? Yes, I did. I, I think I first published a, a poem in, in fourth grade. Well, actually, I, I wrote one in the third grade and found out that if I wrote a poem, the teacher would send me from class to class reading it. So it was an excellent way to cut class. And uh, in the fourth grade, they actually put one of my poems in the school newspaper. So oh, that's there you terrific. go. Yeah. I was ruined for life. I love the story that your bio tells about collecting Zane Gray at the age of 18. Uh, was that your first exposure to actually sitting down and reading Western literature or not? Where where did you go from there? Probably so, because, you know, it was just all around me. My grandfather always had a some sort of Western novel in his hands. My dad, who really never lost that cowboy thing, you know, he wore cowboy hats to the very end. But he, he loved the TV shows and course, I got to watch The Virginian and, and everything that was on during during that time and segued into the Clint Eastwood era, which was quite different than Zangre. But but still, I, I think I, I was just I just happened to be put on the planet at a good time to soak all that up. <laughs> but you didn't dive directly into a writing career. There's the music, too. What what can you tell us about your music? Well, that. That started very early too, and this is strange coming from a from an asthma patient. But I had this really big mouth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, my doctor said, you know, I, I think I find it really surprising that she has such a, a such a strong singing voice because she has had so many problems, uh, breathing problems as a child. But yeah, I started, you know, singing in church when I was seven or eight years old. That evolved into a strange. A strange circuit of uh, singing at funerals when I was about 10 years old. And I was a, a I say, a, a circuit funeral singer as a <laughs> child uh, and, and sang it probably, I don't know, hundreds of funerals. Wow. Uh, well, no, it's a very strange way to cut your teeth. Eventually, by the time I was 13, I joined a little band and 15, uh, I auditioned for a, a radio show in Shreveport, Louisiana called the Louisiana Hayride. It had been a very respected country music show up until the early 60s. And they had, and I guess Elvis probably took over and, the, and they closed the show for several years. This was an, an incarnation of it, another a reincarnation of it. So I headlined the Louisiana Hayride for about six or seven years, got a record deal, toured, played the Opry, just had all kinds of fun. Wow, that's a magnificent this is why my company is called Great Planet. This is just a great planet, Rich. There are just so many fun things to do. <laughs> Before the interview, you mentioned that uh, you had a Western music project in mind. Um, how do you approach that? Do you imagine themes or lyrics or does music come into your head? What, what happens? 
Well, I'm a songwriter. I was a, I've been a working songwriter for decades, and that was actually what led me into writing literature. And we can talk about that in a minute. But um, yeah, I I have some songs that once I wrote when I was 17. It was actually written for my my grandfather, who was born in Oklahoma Territory, kind of a kind of at the Will Rogers time. I believe they even knew each other casually at the time. Yes, I, I'll get an idea for a song, and and I've also joined uh, other than Western Writers of America and Western Fictioneers. I'm a, a member of the International Western Music Association. So going to those conventions and just getting pulled into that music that I also grew up with, because uh, my dad had you know 400 LPs, and and uh, it's been really almost like everything tying in a bow the last four or five years that everything that I've ever wandered around and done has pointed to this. Yeah, it all goes together. It really does. If our listeners would like to hear your work, what record would you recommend? And is that available on iTunes for the streaming or? I have an old, old catalog that would, that you could probably dig up on Google, but I don't believe that it's available anymore. The only thing I, I do have available is a, is a collection of songs I did maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago called Back Porch Torch under my name, Mickey Furman. And uh, I do have a, a website, Mickey Furman Music. Okay. Turning to Western fiction, do you think of yourself then as a short story writer or a novelist? Because I can see how, you know, lyrics, uh, are, you, are you a poet? Hmm. I think that so many years of songwriting, I didn't realize what an education I was getting for writing literature, but it makes you trim all the fat. You know, you get right to the emotion, you get right to the pictures, the visuals, the sounds, you know, you don't have much time to communicate a whole story. And I tended to write story songs too. Uh, in fact, there was a, a song I wrote called Vicksburg 1863 on this Back Porch Torch album that ran six and a half minutes long. And it's a, it is a story of the Civil West. It could be a novel. In the research of that, which I did do, I researched it as if it were a book. When I got through it, I thought, gosh, you know, I've almost written a book here. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got interested in writing uh, about I had an idea to write about a missionary to the Cherokee territory before the removal. And I had a good start on that and went to a writing convention just to kind of sniff around. And I met some nice folks and uh, ended up uh, gurming, as we say, uh, in Nashville, where I live, Troy uh, Smith, who who is a writer in Tennessee. And because I knew that he was a teacher of Native Studies, professor of Native Studies at a local college. So I just uh, called him up and said, hey, I want to have lunch with you and pick your brain. So I went over and told him what I was doing. Well, maybe six months later, he comes in possession of a publishing company and hits me up for that book if it's finished, which of course it wasn't. But I said, hey, I think I can shoot you some short stories or something. So I wrote a little story about a singer an opera singer called Song, The Songbird of Seville. And that was my first story that was published as Western fiction as Yvonne McKee. And it went on to, uh, to be a finalist for a Spur Award at Western Writers of America. So that was a big surprise, you know, first story out. I oh, thought, for sure. 
I thought falsely, gosh, there's nothing to this. <laughs> <laughs> you just write a story and they hand you an award. No, that's not the way it works. <laughs> but I went on to write two or three others uh, for Troy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's evolved. So far, I have only commercially released short stories. But I have actually three novels that I'm working on right now. Um, and one of them will get completed this year. Can you share with us what those are like? Are they are they traditional westerns? Are they historical romance? Well, they are I, I love history. I'm really just a nerd, Rich. Uh, I'm I am so nerdy. It's kind of like, you know, I get so far into the science and the nature and the and the physics of everything. But I have the original Cherokee novel that's uh, that's well on its way, and it, it's probably going to be first of a trilogy. And uh, the one I'm working on right now is kind of cool because it's it's about a young man in uh, Arizona who is who's an artist, a, a visual artist, a painter, and he's a portrait painter. And that the working title right now is the portraitist, and it's really about the place that artists like him had in the de- in the development of the west the culture. Oh, I really I really love that idea, you know. One of the things I think about so often is that people today that we know who are uh, interested in entertainment and artists and creative types uh, they lived then too and mm-hmm. we seem to have this idea of the you know traditional cowboy or the the uh, the pioneer uh, who has to struggle to survive but but they uh, they were every bit as creative and interested in in just creating beauty as we are and sometimes that gets overlooked so I think that'll be fantastic yeah and that's you know that's true I mean at that time at any given time there was a quilting bee going on and yet somebody was getting shot in the head behind a saloon <laughs> well that's still happening you know <laughs> right right it's still the ha- happening that way and that that leads me to to something I find interesting about western writing western writers are really battling prejudice I think and and really preconceived notions about what folks think a western novel is and that's something that we have, you know, professionally tried to address and reach out to oh, writing children's books and audiobooks and just different types of Western fiction. But it's so all over the map because, you know, I you have the Elmer Keltons who are who he was just so wonderful at capturing Texas and that that hardship and and everything that that came with battling the land for a living. And yet you have Zane Grey, who was so taken with the romanticism of the West, and and rightly so. It, it was a beautiful country that they were discovering. And, and at that time, people tended to be a little more, I don't know, wholesome, maybe, generally. Mm-hmm. Values were different. And even the relationships between men and women were different. Some not good, but some were quite charming, you know. And... Then you have the Mark Twains who throw the humor in. And I, and I will say that that's something that I I like to do, too. Well, it happens whether I mean for it to or not. But there's generally something ridiculous that happens. So it and, mirrors the real existence of the West to me, the writing does. And and I, I know that you know sometimes there's criticism. Well, you know, I don't want to read a shoot 'em up cattle drive novel. Well, you know what? A lot of people love that. And I think that's wonderful. And I think it's wonderful if you have the gift to write it 
for them, then you're serving a group of people that that I'm not or somebody else is not. So those are two tenets, I think, of if you're doing the right thing, you're using your talent and you're serving or reaching people who appreciate it. That's a really good point, though. You know, I think so often we, especially who work in the Western genre, hear mm-hmm. about the the death of the Western or that the, the Western genre is over. And in, in so many ways, as I uh, engage in these conversations or uh, visit with people at the conventions, it seems like in a lot of ways we're at the beginning this this could be yeah. the the, oh, the birth yeah. of the of the western genre of the real western genre that yet has yet to be seen and developed so uh, there's still so many things we can do in these so. stories yeah i see it like a river you know it's just it comes to another genre and it goes oh cool i'm going to be a fantasy western i'm going to be a children's western i'm going to be a a mainstream i'm going to be a literary novel you know it's just branching out into so many genres now it's wonderful and you know you've talked about wandering the west um you mentioned earlier getting into the nitty-gritty you know the the flora and the fauna and the geography Mm -hmm. and i know that you've done that you've traveled to seek out inspiration on some of the various trips you've been on you might take a side trip somewhere and and explore an area um can you tell us how that influences you well i've traveled a lot through the west growing up but Really, I have a disadvantage in that I'm located on the other side of the Mississippi River, writing about a country I can't look out the window and see. Although I have, I don't know how many how many books on my shelves about flora and fauna of New Mexico or Arizona or Indian Wars or feeding an army or whatever, you eventually have to see it and feel it yourself. So uh, Western Artists of America always has a convention in a different city every year, which I think is the coolest idea. And often I will rent a car, get there several days early, stay several days late. And I I took a wonderful drive along the Cache La Poudre River in Colorado. I uh, went to the convention in Cheyenne and then drove home through Scott's Bluff and saw, um, you know, this pass where all the immigrants came through going to the West. I've wandered down through the Rockies before, you know, just it's just wonderful to take it. I never drive out the same way I come back. We've done that too. You know, we, yeah. we try to take a different route and, and every time what's strange is I've been, I've been crossing that great plains all my life. You know, I think the first time uh, I grew up in Nebraska. So I think um, the first time I was maybe six years old when I rode with my grandparents and my parents in the same cars with five of us in this small little car mm-hmm. uh, out to, out to Denver to see some relatives and to this day, you know, 50 years later, I, it still overwhelms me, the vastness of the uh, American range, just mm-hmm. how how far away things are. Even with, you know, we're in, we're in the cars, we're on the interstate, we're going 70 miles an hour, and it takes all day to get there. And it's just fantastic. It is wonderful. I mean, I, I know people, even some family members who will look at the desert and say there's nothing there. But there's always something going on uh, on yeah. a small level. Every time someone leaves for a trip, I say, look for something you've never seen before. And oh, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. There is. There's always some little, you know, you're driving along and and I always think I see one of those little like grasshopper oil rigs, you know, the little thing and it's all rusted. And you think, what's the story behind that out here in the middle of nowhere, you know, or, or mm-hmm. a windmill, yeah, the windmill. And you think, was there a farm place here? What, you know, what's the history? Right. And here's the thing, Rich, you can, these, these things of that happen to you and these things that you see, 
our gold mine for for writing because, well, for instance, on my 10th birthday, this really happened. We were in a 1963 Ford station wagon crossing the salt flats and the rear tire blew out. And I remember looking out the back window and seeing this long black streak of that the tire had melted onto the road. It was so hot. My birthday's in July. <laughs> Did I mention my birthday's in July? <laughs> and uh, to me, it was terribly exciting. We we're stranded in the salt flats and we're going to die probably because we have a flat tire. <laughs> Lo and behold, a drunk tow truck driver shows up and pulls us into Salt Lake City. But, you know, you change that to a covered wagon. <laughs> yeah. And he can still, and he can still can be, have all kinds of fun with that. It can still be a drunken guardian angel because that's, Absolutely. that's or, not what we, drunken how, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's not how we think about guardian angels, but uh, that's right. They take well, see, there forms. you go. I always know when I read your stories, Richard, that there will be some little twist, some wonderful little twist. And that's uh, something I admire about your writing. Well, thanks. You have a book of short stories called Comanche Winter and Other Western Stories from Wolfpack Publishing. What can you tell us about those short stories? Well, I'm really excited to finally have a whole book of just my stories in it. I, I worked my way through the ranks uh, of a couple of um, of Western Trailblazer anthologies, some five-star anthologies, Trading Post, Contention, Hobnail, and finally uh, got enough material to create this anthology. And it was it was lots of fun. The the title story, Comanche Winter, is told from a young boy, schoolboy's point of view. And uh, I just had a lot of fun going through what I had and going, well, what else can I when I add to this pile? So I'm really proud of it because it's my my first baby that's only mine. And it's a beautiful cover, too. I think uh, not to uh, toot our own horn too much uh, or that of our sponsor, but I think Wolfpack Publishing did a really nice job they do on, a nice on that cover. Job. They really do. Now, I something I have always done with when I had control of even short story singles is that I, I license my own images and turn them in and say, this is kind of what I'd like. So with this cover, I think I, I sent in this image of these wild horses running across the snow and just some this and that. And, and Rachel Del Grosso at, uh, at Wolfpack just did an incredible job of making it look great. It, it was beyond my expectations. Do the stories follow any specific theme or were they just sort of the, you know, the, the best of? Is it is it your greatest hits collection? Kind of a greatest hits, if you will. There are three stories that have never been released until this book came out. Comanche Winter is one of them. There's another little story called The Golden Mare, which was really just an exercise I did. I was writing from from Aesop's fables for a while, just for just for fun. And this little story, The Golden Mare, uh, came out of that. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, I, I always like uh, an anthology that has some new stuff in it. So even if you've read some of the singles that you've had out from Wolfpack before or the stories that you mentioned in the anthologies, uh, go out and pick up Comanche Winter because it's got new stuff from Von McKee. Thank you. Thanks for the plug. Mickey, I need to wrap up our conversation, and I'll do so by pointing folks to your website, www.vonmckee.com. That's V-O-N-N-M-C-K-E-E.com, where they can learn more about you and your work writing the range. And you're also available on social media as well, right? 
That's right. Come see me on Facebook. Vaughn McKee on Facebook. Happy to see you there. Thanks for being a part of the Six Gun Justice podcast today, Mickey. Thanks, Rich. It's been fun, always. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check out our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride. <laughs>